Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. You know, last week we started a new message series on one of the most important sermons that Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and for the next several weeks, we're going to focus on the entire passage. Now, you can find that passage in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Last week, we kicked things off looking at the very beginning of this passage in verses 3 through 12, known as the Beatitudes. Now this morning, I want to review a bit of what we talked about last week as a foundation for this week and in the weeks to come. So we noticed that the Sermon on the Mount at first reading is and can be something that we really enjoy reading. As followers of Jesus, we hear Jesus speak and we find ourselves agreeing with this teaching even enthusiastically. But as we look a bit closer, we realize that the Sermon on the Mount can actually be a bit difficult to read once we begin to reflect on this question. Is how I'm living my life now, is it uh, reflective of what Jesus is teaching? And if it's not be, that can be a bit unsettling. Jesus is challenging, even confronting his closest followers and those around him with the fact that they might be, and in fact, that they are not living into these kingdom expectations. Now, Jesus begins by directly contradicting some of the conventional wisdom of his day about how things should work in the world. Jesus is challenging his followers, asking the question, where have you actually believed in the ways of the world rather than in the tendencies of the kingdom of God? Now, if you remember from last week, we asked about what it might look like to articulate a list of beatitudes if they were to reflect the thinking of our world and culture today. They might go something like this. Blessed are the rich in things and in self-assurance. Blessed are those untouched by loss. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who are realistic about righteousness, compromising at every turn. Blessed are those who demand and exact an eye for an eye. Blessed are the crafty and the opportunistic. Blessed are those bold enough to make war. Blessed are those who, doing good things, receive many accolades. Or, blessed are those who are widely praised and adored. Now, obviously and thankfully, that's not what Jesus says. Here is what he defines as kingdom tendencies of his people we know as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we find in these verses the kingdom tendencies of the kingdom of God. Now these are the things that mark us as members of the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is asking his followers and you and I to develop as part of our life of faith. 
Now we talked about the fact that Jesus confronting his followers uh, and, and, and confronting us today as well with this hard truth. That it can be unsettling because the truth of the kingdom of God often it shines a light on the ways in which we may not be following in the way of Jesus. At least maybe not all the way. And we don't like that. We don't want to hear that. We tend to avoid things that are uncomfortable and things that unsettle us. But you know what? Unsettledness, as uncomfortable as it is, is fertile ground for growth and change. It's where the Holy Spirit convicts. It's where we become desperate for the hope of Jesus. Uh, and, And we let the words of Jesus unsettle our heart. And we know he's good and he loves and he cares for us and moves us forward. As we move past these beatitudes that we looked at, as we hear Jesus' call to develop these kingdom tendencies, we see in the next several verses why these tendencies are so important. Let's read these together in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill, cannot be hidden. No, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So if the Beatitudes describe essential kingdom tendencies and the character of the disciples of Jesus, then the salt and light metaphors describe the the disciples' action for the good of the world for the glory of God. Now, this is also a bit unsettling because Jesus is saying that as his followers, you, we, don't get the option to sit on the sidelines. To continue with the sports metaphor, we are in the game. You and I have a responsibility and a calling to be influencers of this world. Yet the very idea that Christians can exert a healthy influence in this world is an idea that is becoming more difficult to envision. One commentator said this, Year after year, for close to a half of a century, the church in America and Europe has been in decline. Not that long ago, the church was the center of society. Its leaders enjoyed public admiration. Its opinions were valued at the civic table. Its ethics were lifted up as a guide to appropriate behavior. Its services were sought after for the edification of young people. All of that has changed. He goes on to write, Now the church is rarely mentioned in the news except when it is shamed by its leaders. Its voice is silenced except when extremists are lifted up as examples and caricatures. Its values and services are considered ancillary rather than essential to the formation of young adults. Now that's a really tough commentary to hear. And then we begin to think, what possible influence could the people as described in the Beatitudes have in this hard, tough world that we live in? What lasting good can the, the poor in spirit and meek have, the mourners, the merciful, and those who try to make peace and not war? What can people whose passion is an appetite for righteousness accomplish in this world? Or people whose only weapon is the purity of their heart? Aren't those people too feeble to achieve anything, especially if they're a small minority in this world? Now, if that's true for our age, how much more was it true for Jesus' earliest disciples? From what we know through the Gospels and Paul's letters, the early Christians were an odd lot. 
They were fishermen and homemakers, tax collectors, former Pharisees, and assorted Greco-Romans. They were small in number, and at first they had no large organized church. According to every standard by which we currently measure the health of an organization, the early church would have been deemed anemic at best. And yet Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you see, it doesn't seem to matter to Jesus that the church of that day fits our, uh, does or doesn't fit our principles of organizational success. What's so powerful about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus reframes and defines reality to his listeners. The center of all life, the center of all things is found in the kingdom of God. And with that in mind, uh, what, what Jesus does not say Uh, Well, hopefully you can be the salt of the earth. Nor does Jesus say, maybe if you have everything right, you can be the light of the world. As if to suggest that that God may make this happen at some point only in the future. No, Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world already, right now, through the power of God's spirit and his truth in you. You are to develop, he says, as individuals and as a community with these kingdom tendencies. And while you do that, you are to be influencers of this world. Now, Jesus isn't calling his disciples to separate from the world around them. Uh, He's doing the opposite. Jesus is asking his followers to permeate every aspect of life around them and to be witnesses, to influence with these kingdom tendencies. So let's briefly talk about salt and light. So much could be said about either one of these here. And in the ancient world, salt was a prized preservative, a function that's all but forgotten about uh, in most of the industrialized world where refrigeration is everywhere. We may think today of salt as primarily as, as a spice to give flavor, but for people a few thousand years ago, it was primarily used as a preservative. It was used to preserve meat without refrigeration. Now, in order for us to truly appreciate Jesus' teaching here, we need to understand the vital importance of salt in that day and how it worked. After all, in a world full of salt shakers on virtually every dining room, salt is easy to overlook as a wonderful metaphor for the spiritual life. In order for salt to preserve meat, it requires a lot of it. And I watched the show recently uh, showing a fisherman in Norway preserving fish with salt and without any refrigeration. He would clean the fish and rub it down with salt immediately. Then he would let it sit in a huge vat of salt overnight. It became hard as as the salt soaked up most of the moisture from the fish, but then the fish would last for a long time. Then the show uh, would, would show how he would cook this fish for guests and that this fish would be months old. And in order for this to work, the salt would need to get into every nook and cranny in order to correctly preserve the meat for use later. So likewise, if we are to be the salt of the earth, like Jesus is saying, we are, uh, our influences uh, need to permeate all aspects of life on this earth. We bring glory to God as we influence the world and witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. One commentator said this, the metaphors of salt and light seem to communicate something about the world itself. That is that the world is evidently a dark place with little or no light of its own, since an external source of light is needed to illuminate it, and that the world also manifests a constant tendency to deteriorate, therefore the need of salt.
So salt and light are essential in our world. But Jesus also gives us a warning. What good is salt if it's lost its saltiness? Chemically speaking, if salt becomes mixed with various impurities, then it loses its ability to preserve. Jesus is again unsettling his hearers here by pointing out that they will be no good as influencers of the kingdom of God if they get mixed up with various impurities of the world around them. Now here's something that we need to remember, that as a follower of Jesus, we are not people of sin management, that we are people of holistic freedom in and through Jesus Christ. We seek freedom from sin as we continue to surrender to God. With God's deepening waves of grace, we grow in our love for God and for other people. We seek to be pure of love for God and for others as Jesus addresses the sin of our life and uproots it from our heart and and plants instead his life-giving love and grace and mercy. It's incredible. What an amazing invitation. So a question that Jesus might be asking here is, where are the impurities of your life? Again, the question is, how and in what ways uh, might you not be following Jesus all the way? Is there something in your life that you can identify that would not be included as a kingdom tendency? And if there is, today is the day with the help of God, that we can confess, seek his help, and begin to address and and deal with those things in our life. God is gracious, full of mercy and kindness. He's loving and forgiving and saving, and he wants the best for each of us. So let's commit to be the salt of the earth, influencers for God's kingdom, helping to stop the decay of the world around us with kingdom tendencies that are born of faith and God's spirit. You know, Jesus also tells us to be the light of the world. In verses 14 through 16, it says this, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light uh, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your, to, uh, your Father in heaven. Now, this metaphor is easier for us to understand. You are the light of the world. Light is attention-getting. It guides, it directs, it keeps people from harm, it gives hope, and on and on. You know, uh, years ago, I had this, we, we did this great game with a youth, youth group that I led. The whole night was just complete darkness. We turned out all of the lights. One of the things that we did is uh, we, we took uh, a flashlight and we took it all apart. We took pieces of it. We hid the, the pieces of the flashlight all around the room. One of the games was that the students had to find the pieces in the dark and they had to put the pieces together. Now what happened was fascinating. One group of students found all of the pieces. They put the flashlight together and they turned it on. And what happened was that everybody else from all other areas of the room, they immediately turned toward the light. They saw the light and they all started coming toward the light. Isn't that an amazing example of what the light does? Light in a dark place draws our attention and draws us closer. And I think this is what Jesus is, uh, part of this example is so powerful for us because as we are these lights in the darkness of our world is attention getting and we can draw people to the love of Jesus. 
So one of the things that Jesus does, and I love, that he clarifies the light as our good works. Another commentator wrote this. Indeed, the primary meaning of works must be practical, visible deeds of compassion. It is when people see these, Jesus said, that they will uh, glorify God, for they embody the good news of his love, which we can proclaim. So we let, uh, let our light shine before others so that they may see our works uh, and give glory to God the Father in heaven. We are to let the light of Jesus within us shine from us, through us, by our loving action so that people may get to see the hands and feet of Jesus himself. We're not to be like a town or a village nestling in a valley whose lights are concealed from view. Rather, it says that we're to be like a city on a hill which can't be hidden and whose lights are clearly seen for miles around. So as we lean into our discipleship pathway here at Crossview, this is what we hope to see happen. As we we lean into biblical teaching, Jesus begins to change and transform us. Again, this word we're using is unsettled. Um, and, And as we're growing to become more and more like Jesus, we're doing all we can as individuals in your own context and as a church in this community to take loving action toward those around us. We want to connect deeply with each other, making space in our life for close personal relationships that will help us grow in our faith. And we want to reach out to others around us and invite other people into this same process that we're a part of. So as we end our time this morning, we're reminded in this passage to be like salt in our world and to be like light, to be beneficial, useful, life-giving to people in our world as we influence others toward the love of Jesus. I'm so grateful and thankful uh, for this passage, this sermon. It is both invigorating, encouraging, and difficult at the same time. I just want to encourage you uh, this week to take some time to reflect and to ask, where may uh, I be living in ways that, that don't follow the ways of Jesus? Do I have tendencies in my life that are not kingdom tendencies? Ask and begin to reflect and think, how am I like salt, like we've discussed? Or how am I like a light in this world that might be drawing people to the love of Jesus? I want to encourage you again uh, each week to uh, visit our website. We have weekly devotional. uh, We have a weekly discussion podcast that will help get into more of these uh, in depth and these things. I want to encourage you to connect as, as, as much as you can with others. We have groups that you can be a part of. Uh, invite you to be involved in our, our food bank and in other things that we're doing to try to take loving action on those around us. This is exciting. These are exciting days for us as we look forward, as we hear Jesus' call to be salt and light as a church uh, in this community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just are so thankful for uh, your word to our hearts. It is both unsettling and uh, uh, invigorating. It it builds faith as we say yes to your ways, but it takes the hard work of reflection, confession, uh, and the receiving of your loving grace. We thank you that you are loving and merciful and that you invite us into uh, this ongoing, uh, ever-changing, developing relationship where we are made more and more like you. Jesus, we just uh, we ask for your help along the way. We ask for people in our lives that can speak uh, truth and love into us and help us take steps that we need to. Uh, we love you. Thank you for your word. And, and we give you all the praise. Help us be 
salt and light in our world today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship together.